welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're speaking with Carla Flores, and we'll be talking about data visualization, dashboards, uh, all kinds of good things. Give you guys some ideas on uh, how you can better analyze your data, present your data. And we'll give you some links also to some good uh, examples out there, some websites, so check out the... Uh, our AGA website on that. So let's talk with Carla. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we'll be speaking about dashboarding and visualizations and I'm very happy to have with us today uh, Carla Flores. Good morning, Carla. Good morning, Paul. So how, how are things going? You're out in, uh, in Dallas, is that right? Yep, I am in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's uh, a little bit gloomy this morning, but it is it is nice and um, it's starting to get nice and hot out there. So it, we're looking forward to a nice a nice hot summer in Texas. There you go. Well, so why don't you give us a little introduction about yourself, a little bit of your background and uh, your your expertise in the visualizations world. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Paul. I, I can. I can talk data all day long, so I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit with our with our listeners. Um, I am the data analytics lead within the CFO office at the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, my primary role at the IRS CFO uh, is expanding the uh, analytics capabilities and develop da- developing data visualizations to help deliver insights into our performance and financial results. Um, and also deploying initiatives to realize value from our integrated financial system. Uh, while my current duties at the IRS revolve mostly around data analytics and data visualizations, I actually have almost 15 years of experience in federal financial management, uh, mostly accounting and financial reporting roles. Uh, and I, I always highlight that um, because there is this misconception out there that data analytics and data visualizations sort of belong mainly in an IT function. And that is no longer the case, right? It's, as data has become more uh, available, there with the right tools and training, pretty much anybody can be a data analyst. So it's just a matter of having that that drive to become to move move on from just the business end of the house to become a data analyst. Still within the business end of the house, I still sit in the CFO shop, but I'm a data analyst. I'm still technically an accountant by series in the federal government, right? Uh, but the the word goes um has evolved more into data analytics and data visualization absolutely and so i'm curious you know for example for yourself i mean is your position actually data analyst or what what you know what what would you characterize your position as um and no i am my title is a cfo data analytics lead but i am a 510 i am an accountant uh, now, in my previous agency, which was the Department of the Interior, I was also in a data analytics role, but I was a, I was a program analyst, a 343, I believe, is the federal series for it. Um, so there is, I, I'm not quite sure is there, if there is actually a series within the federal government specific for data analysts outside of the data science field. Um, so for the most part, folks that are working at least in the financial management shop uh, on data analytics are normally either accountants, budget analysts, um, or in the program management series. 
Right. And I guess that makes sense because, you know, data analysts obviously can cover anything. So you're, you're in the finance shop, but of course, you know, mission folks or HR or whatever, you know, any group obviously can benefit from data visualization, data analysis. So I guess it kind of makes sense. So I guess one of my first questions for you is we'll, we'll kind of start off again with the data analyst. You know, what do you feel makes a good data analyst? You know, how, how do you do do your job well? You know, and, and I guess the sort of the mix between the, your experience with the subject matter, but then also with the, the tools, just kind of high level. You know, what would you say makes a good data analyst? Um, so first, I think, uh, right, for listeners that may not be all familiar with the term, right, so data analytics uh, is sort of the process of inspecting, cleansing, uh, transforming data, right, with the goal of um, delivering or obtaining useful information. So a data analyst um, is someone that does that, right, that performs those functions of cleaning up the data, gathering the data, gathering requirements to try to deliver or obtain useful information from that data set. Um, there's also the term data visualization, uh, which is just simply um, kind of like the graphical presentation of that data. Um, so data analysts um, nowadays really function in both sides, right? They're not just the people understanding the actual underlying data, but a lot of the data analysts are also developing those data visualizations to be used to present the data in a more visual um, way. And I would say what, what makes a good data analyst, um, first of all, sort of like a basic understanding of data and data structures, right? And I would think that uh, for our community, right, most accountants, auditors, budget analysts are pretty good at this already, right? We live in Excel. Uh, we understand financial systems. We understand databases. Uh, so it's not for financial management people. It's, it's actually not that hard of a transition into data analysis. Uh, what you do need to have, though, is a desire to learn. The field and the tools, um, the software, right, has continued to evolve through the years. So you cannot just learn learn it now and then not continue learning through the years. As, as data needs and visualization needs continue to evolve, so should your learning um, experience. So that desire to learn is really, uh, to me, one of the most important things. Um, and then also the ability to sort of stand back and see the big picture. Sometimes in our worlds, we're so focused on like this general ledger account or this, like I only do property or I only do fund accounting. But in order to be a good data analyst, you sort of have to step back and almost look at it from an executive level of what is the big picture for the whole of the organization or for the whole of the question that you're trying to answer. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I know I'm sure the two of us grow, you know, growing up in our career, you know, we, we use a lot of Excel. We still do, of course. Um, but you know, I mean, I was excited when I saw that, uh, charts graphics wizard in Excel, you know, it would just autumn, you know, magically create a, a bar graph for me or a pie chart, you know, and obviously we're way beyond that now, but it seems like the tools out there, are almost as user friendly. So, um, so speaking of that, and, and you know, when we say data visualization, so uh, and again, we're kind of product agnostic here, but just putting out there, I mean, these are products like Tableau, Power BI. You know, Excel has dashboards, for example, uh, like we just said, but not quite as fancy, maybe. Um, so, yeah, 
Click is another um, it's another company that's uh, that's out there um, that's a good competitor to Tableau and uh, Microsoft Power BI. So yeah, there's there's different tools. Um, there are there are different tools. Each of the tools has sort of pros and cons. Uh, so you just have to weigh what your needs are in an organization and also what will be available, right? Like within the federal government in particular, or even the state and local level, what your agency and your IT or CIO department may be able um, to acquire based on your budget. But yeah, there's, there's lots of tools out there. Yeah. And the good news is if you're in a relatively large agency, you, you probably already own something, you know, one of these, you know, like the agencies I worked with, they own, pretty much all of the ones you just mentioned already. It's just, you know, now working with your immediate boss to kind of get a license or access, or in some cases, some of the, like the ones that are, um, that come from Microsoft office, they just come included you know, with the package. You don't, you don't have to pay extra. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. So, and we'll talk, we'll, we'll, and this will be an interesting podcast because we're going to try to explain visualizations in a audio medium here which is okay but you know there's there's good examples out there on the web and things we can point people to for example but i also just want to talk about again more of the concept of why this is a good idea you know what why why should an agency or you know anybody um want to use visualization what benefit does that offer you so maybe kind of like that philosophical question for you what do you why do you feel it's important to, to have visualizations, what does that add beyond just doing everything on Excel, for example? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, data analytics is nothing new. Um, and, and I'll speak a little bit of an example later on about how, how long, right? Uh, data visualizations, data analytics is really um, nothing new. Terms and tools have evolved through time, um, but the concepts themselves have been around for well over a century. Um, the, I think the, the issue is, or the need really is that with the increase of the data that's available now, you almost sort of need those data visualizations and data analytics to help you consume the information that's out there, right? So we have, um, I have this one book and I have it right behind me in my office. Um, it's Stephen Few, Show Me the Numbers. And in it, um, Stephen C. writes that, and I'm going to read it so that I get it right, right? Uh, Contrary to popular wisdom, numbers cannot speak for themselves. Inattention to the display of quantitative data results in large but hidden costs to most organizations. Time is wasted struggling to understand the meaning and significance of numbers. Time that could be better spent doing something about them. And I remember reading that a few years ago, and as as an accountant, that sort of stuck with me because I was always told numbers should speak for themselves, right? Uh, But Stephen Few, who's sort of like a data analytics and uh, visualization expert, um, begs to differ. And I, once reading through some of the theory of data analytics, I I got to understand the value of it, right? And um, the to me, the most important thing of dashboards and visualizations in general. Um, is, is that they allow you to condense a very large amount of information in a pretty small space, right? Like on a screen size, um, in a way that your brain can easily digest it. I think most human beings are used to reading bar charts, um, pie charts, even though they're not the best visualization tool, but still, uh, we are pretty familiar with those now. So it's easy to understand those charts instead of having to sift through hundreds of pages of a report, for example, 
Uh, and like I, like you said, it's a little bit hard to explain, right, without a visual. Um, but I would say that data visualizations truly allow you to see your data, right? And I have two two examples that I wanted to share. Uh, one, I'm sort of borrowing from one of our past AGA national presidents, Doug Glenn. He used to always show this one chart um, by Charles Menard. Uh, and the chart was done it, back in 1869, not 1969, 1869, right? And the chart depicts uh, Napoleon's Russian campaign, his ill-fated incursion into Russia. Uh, and the chart has, it's, a, it's sort of like in a map format, right? So it's a cartograph and it shows six different types of data. It has the number of Napoleon's troops going into Russia, the number of Napoleon's uh, troops coming out of Russia, the distance they travel, the temperature, the position based on the latitude and longitude, the direction, right, east or west, um, and the location based on specific dates. So that's a lot of information in one small chart. And while we learn in school that Napoleon lost, right, when you see the chart, you understand just the sheer magnitude of the loss, like how, how badly was he beaten, right? Uh, so it's just an example of you can have the data, but without the visual, you might not understand the magnitude of it. Um, another example I have is actually something, uh, a project I worked on at the Department of the Interior. Uh, we, have a, we had a program there called the Natural Resource Damage Assessment and Restoration Program, which basically when things like oil spill happen, um, the, the program works with the federal, state, local, and tribal trustees um, to conduct damage assessments, uh, negotiate settlements with the responsible parties. They collect the payments from the responsible parties and uh, later disperse that, right, back to the states or federal um, entities that need to do the remediation effort to bring, bring back the natural resources to its former state. Um, so leadership had some questions about the program management and, and, and what appeared to be a backlog and our disbursing the funds out to the state, right? It's like, we don't wanna be holding on to funds that should be uh, disbursed to the state and local entities to complete remediation work. So why were we holding on to this money was the question. And when, now we knew from the, knowing the program managers, right? That they had pretty, pretty robust control. Um, they, to monitor the program, they understood each of the projects, they could provide you decades worth of transactional data on demand. It was all in the system, it, the reports were built. So all of the data was there, the program knowledge was there, the internal controls were there. So what was the problem, right? Well, the problem was how the data was being presented. It just wasn't in a way that allowed leadership to see just a quick snapshot um, of, the, of the health of the program. So my job was to bridge, bridge that gap, that gap and translate um, what data was available into a way that leadership could easily consume it, right? So instead of presenting Excel table after Excel table um, of transactions for every year for over a thousand projects, we can then sit down to one interactive dashboard that fit on one screen and it presented sort of the flow of the funds coming in from the responsible parties and then any carryovers from previous years and then the disbursement um, to the local, um, to the state, local tribal trustees. Um, and it showed us a trend of how much money we had been carrying forward each year since the program's inception. 
which was back in the 90s. So once we were able to see it in the dashboard, it was almost like you could see the data in a concise way. And then we were able to start drilling out into different areas that were of interest. So we, we immediately noticed on the trend line that there was a pretty big spike um, in one year. And then we started carrying forward a lot of money, right? We started holding on to a lot of money starting on one particular year. So when we look back at the year, well, that's the year that Deepwater Horizon happened. That was just such a huge settlement um, for the federal government that it impacted the amount of money that we were receiving from the responsible parties. And the state and local entities are not ready for us to give them the money yet. They have their own project plans and they're waiting for a milestone to occur before we disperse the money to them. Um, so there were explanations for things, but when when you cannot even see past the tables in Excel, right, uh, it's hard to explain a thousand projects. When you look at it in the dashboard and you're able to sort of hone in or narrow down to what could potentially be an issue, then it's a little easier to explain. Once we knew that part was Deepwater Horizon, we excluded that from the population. And then that gave us basically just a handful of projects that could be potentially considered aged because they hadn't had any disbursements in the past five years. So the project managers went back and looked at each of the projects and made sure that everything was um, flowing properly and it was all being um, disbursed in a timely manner. So just having, having that dashboard allowed us to focus on better questions, I would say. So, and I know that that was a long-winded answer, but to circle back, right? Uh, you may have the data in a report, but analytics and visualizations allow you to actually see the data. Absolutely, it sounds like a great, great use case. And uh, just a couple of random thoughts. There was a lot there, but um, one thing is, uh, I have to admit, I definitely stole a good dashboard idea from Doug Glenn. It was a, one of the AGA conferences. I think it was DoD related. He was talking about the status of their audit, right? So they had a big, nice dashboard with kind of all the findings, the status of the findings. And I said, I like that. So I took a photo and my team recreated it for me back at the, the client site. So thanks, Doug. Um, yeah, no, I, yep. I yeah, it's, and that's the thing. I mean, and that, we'll kind of get into the subject next, but you know, how do you get ideas to create visualizations? And I would say, number one, go to AGA conference and check out a presentation. People are doing this all over the place now. And there's great ideas. There's a, you know, FEMA has a website with public dashboards. A lot of the state governments have dashboards, especially, you know, with the coronavirus happening right now, a lot of dashboards about that, maybe too many, but, um, but yeah, so maybe let's dig into that. You know, where do you get inspiration for your dashboards and visualizations and where can others also kind of come up with ideas for, for visualizations? I mean, I, I think I think you hit it right. Uh, feel like an artist uh, without actually feeling right. Uh, but no, really going going back and looking at how other people and maybe not even federal entities, right? But if you have um, property, for example, well, property is not specific to federal, um, state, and local, right? Every every company has property. So how are other people? Um, visualizing property data or inventory data or how are they visualizing funds now they may call it they may do like a cash management or cash flow type of visualization and you would be doing more from the budget perspective but how are people visualizing different types of information uh it's always 
useful uh, for a place to start with. I know my uh, my NARDAR um, visualization that I worked at DOI, uh, I sort of borrowed the idea from the data lab, right? USAspending.gov, they have a visualization that shows you the budget, um, the budget money coming in and then how it's being spent by object classes. So that sort of flow diagram is called a Sankey chart, which is what I ended up doing in the Nardard um, visualization. So it was, I, I had gone out to look at how do you visualize like investments and funds and inflows and outflows of funds. And the data lab was a great example of how to visualize something that could be used. So I would Definitely recommend people check out Data Lab um, on the USAspending.gov website uh, or just search Google through and see some images. Um, there are some really good books too. Um, there's books on Big Book of Dashboards. Um, Stephen Few has, a, uh, has several books on um, information dashboard design. So it's, it's good places to see what type, um, how to visualize different types of data. And actually, if you search for um, Stephen Pugh's um, website, Perceptual Edge, if you just um, search for graph selection matrix, it has like a one pager that gives you like a little cheat sheet of, if you're looking at time, these are the best type of charts to use, right? You use a line chart or a bar chart. If you're showing, trying to show like correlations, then you use a scatter plot. Uh, so it's kind of like a little cheat sheet to keep um, of what what types of data work, uh, what types of graphs work best for what types of data. Yeah, and I'll put some of these links on the uh, website so we, folks can find these. Um, so why don't you kind of walk us through, you know, what your approach is to basically, let's call it gather requirements for a visualization, you know. So you sit down with somebody and they say, hey, I want, I want something visual. I just don't know what I want. Because, I mean, I feel, I feel that that's what I see a lot. You know, folks are like, you know, I have all this data, but I don't know what to do with it. I, I can't get my head around it. Can we do some visualizations just to get started and understand, you know, what, what's happening here? So, like, what's your process for coming up with, you know, gathering requirements or something like that? Yeah, so um, gathering requirements for a visualization cannot, like, the importance of it cannot be understated. Uh, you, my first, my first item is, is always, what's the question, right? Like it's identifying what's the problem or question, what's the premise um, that you're trying to resolve or answer through the visualization. Uh, a lot of people have this idea where they just want to start with, I want a chart that looks like this. But really, you have to let the data drive what the chart looks like. And in order to know what data you need, you need to ask that question of like, what is it that you're trying to answer, right? What is the question you're trying to answer? Once you've determined what's the question, then kind of like the second step is what data is available that could help you answer that question, right? And determining where that data is located. Is it in one report in your, in your accounting system of record? Uh, if it is all in one pristine table, you are one lucky person. Uh, most times, especially when you're working with legacy uh, systems or even spreadsheets, right? You have to com combine data from multiple data sources to get to get a, a good data set that would help you answer the question. And then once you have the data and you and you know what question you're trying to answer, then you develop the visualization based on what the type 
what's the best chart type, right, to present the information you're trying to present. So if, for example, we have a, I have a dashboard in development um, that will serve as a status of funds uh, monitoring dashboard, and we have a goal to obligate a percentage of funds by a specific date. Uh, so I sat down with the stakeholder, right, with the people that will be using this visualization, and we sat down and worked through What's the question, right? Well, the question is, we want to monitor that goal. We want to see how are people progressing towards that goal of obligating our percentage by a specific date. Um, and from there, then we identify a data source that would help us with our status of funds report. Uh, we, we have to bring in some additional data fields um, to understand whether it was procurement data or labor data. Um, so we, we have to merge a few different data sources to put together this report that gives us sort of a snapshot of where we are at any point in time and then where we where we expect to be or where we should have been and then it highlights any any business unit that may be running behind schedule but it was a matter of understanding the question then the data sources and finally really identifying the audience right who's the primary audience for the visualization is it an executive is it a program manager is it the budget analyst or the fund accountant uh, sometimes as developers, we, we tend to think like one dashboard should fit all. And that's, that's just not the case, right? You, what the person doing general ledger reconciliation wants to see on a dashboard is vastly different than what my CFO wants to see in a dashboard. So you got to understand and document who your primary stakeholder is. Now, you may use the same exact data set on a separate dashboard for another audience, and that's perfectly fine, but one dashboard may not necessarily serve everybody's purpose. And you just, you sort of have to understand that and keep, keep, keep that in check to make sure that you don't, that you don't go over um, trying to put too many things on a dashboard and then intimidate everybody and no one uses the dashboard, right? The best dashboard is one that is used. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, development methodology so to speak you guys use but i mean i've I've found that this is perfect for agile because by definition we're trying different things we you know here's version one and they're like oh can you add this can you take this off can you add this filter i mean do you guys do sort of an agile approach yes we don't call it agile specifically um because we don't follow all of the methodology but yes it is an iteration process right. so we do we do several iterations similar to how an agile um project management style would go yeah right so i have a few more minutes with you um i want to talk about you know the data sources the integrity of the data and you know a little bit about that the importance of that but also you know the unique uh, you know, one of the whole points of these visualizations is sometimes you, you do want to find incorrect or outlier data. That's the whole point. So, you know, it can also be sort of a feedback loop to, to fix problems. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the data sources and the, uh, make sure, making sure you have good data. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's nothing worse than putting together a dashboard and then you present it to your management and the data is not accurate. Um, it is, there is, it, it's almost, it's one of those things, right, that garbage in, garbage out. So the visualization is only going to be as good as your data is. However, like you said, there are instances where the visualization can actually help you understand that there are some inaccuracies in your data and then allow you to pinpoint those issues to clean it up. So don't, um, 
I would say don't be deterred by not having perfect, pristine data uh, data sets to work with. Um, if you're 95% there with your data, I think go ahead, visualize it, and then use that dashboard to help you narrow down any issues or any cleanup that you may have to do. I know at DOI we had an example where uh, we had uh, a map showing with bubble sizes based on square footage of buildings across the nation. And there was this, this very large bubble in a state that no one had anticipating having a very large bubble. Um, so it got, it got people questioning. It's like, well, that's not right. The visualization is not right. Well, the visualization was right. The data on the data behind it was not. There was a, an entry key error by the person that was entering the data by about a million square feet. Uh, so it it, cho it showed it skewed the data. But then once you saw it on the map, you realize like we don't have a building that large in that state. So then we were able to go back into the system and correct the underlying data um, to reflect the right information. So yeah. It, it can serve as a cleanup sort of activity to focus on what areas may be issues for the agency. Right, and you and you also talked about before, you know, uh, your data sources will most likely be multiple places. It's, not, it's almost never just one, but which, you know, makes it a little bit more complex, but I think it's also the major advantage. I mean, that's the great thing. Like, I, w I do want data. I want to com combine data from multiple sources and see what it tells me, right? I mean, do you guys find that that's one of the, actually a really great, you know, use of the tool to combine different data sets? Yeah, especially in, um, in financial management, when you're talking between financial management and procurement type data, right? The, for most agencies, and I would assume it's a similar case for state and local agencies, where our procurement system is not always integrated with our financial system. And even if it is, it doesn't share all of the attributes among the two. There may be like an obligation or a contract number that's the same, but other than that, they're tracked completely separately, right? Uh, so having the ability of combining financial management data with the procurement data and period of performance ends, and it allows you kind of like to get a better view uh, it's almost like enhancing your financial data by having this other non-financial information included in there. Uh, similarly with status of funds, right? We know status of funds from a, from a general accounting perspective where you have kind of like your budgetary account, uh, but on the budget shop, right? They use their budget plans, which are different and sometimes are not even in the financial system. So being able to merge or combine that data, even if it's on spreadsheets, with your data from the financial system and then see how you're, how you're tracking against your benchmark plan, budget plan for the year uh, is really useful. And it is not something that Excel, like tools like Excel natively can quickly do, right? That's why data visualization softwares like Power BI, Tableau, Click, um, provide that added layer of information with the, with the ability to combine those data sources. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously this is nothing new Tableau things that these things have been around for a while. Um, and you know, something I've also seen now a lot is a lot of, uh, other tools and applications and even some, you know, ERPs have integrated dashboards already with it built in, right. That's the direction a lot of these are going. So, you know, there's just a lot of options out there. I guess you just need to really look at what you're trying to do and see what the best software solution is. Right. 
Yeah, and I mean, and don't be don't be scared to start small. Maybe your maybe your agency or your company uh, already has. If you have an ERP, right? Maybe your ERP already has a dashboarding tool. Then start there. Don't, you don't need to go acquire a whole new visualization tool or software. Um, you can start where you are, right, and start learning the tools and the and the the techniques of data visualizations, and then maybe invest, like show kind of like the return on investment of how uh, maybe having an additional software would be, would, would add value to the agency. Absolutely. So I think my last question for you, well, basically um, I was just thinking maybe you could tell us a, a story or, or, or a scenario where maybe um, I guess you can pick, you know, maybe something where, you were surprised by what the visualization showed you something you weren't expecting, or uh, you could also, you could tell us maybe about, you know, a visualization that you created and it just wasn't working and you had to change it. So people would actually accept it. So I don't know, whatever you want to throw out there for us. Sure. So I'll take the second one. Uh, We had uh, at the department of the interior, we had, um, a visualization that showed uh, undelivered orders, right, and the aging of undelivered orders. And it basically had all of the bells and whistles that a visualization can have. It had like 15 different filters and two different tabs and uh, probably around 10 different charts from scatter plots to line charts, big numbers at the top. It had everything, right? Everything, it's almost like we threw threw spaghetti at the wall, right? And we put everything on the one dashboard. And it was so complex that people would just not use it, right? It intimidated the end users. And as a result of that, no one was using it. So we had to, I had to go back in and sort of like scale it back so that it would only have just key information, very simple navigation, just to get the users accustomed to it and getting them used to the to the filters and the navigation and the clicking through to filter different areas or explore and drill down. Um, so we had to, it was one of those that like sometimes you, you can do too much. You can do too much. Sometimes it's good to take a step back, don't overwhelm the end user, right? Uh, meet their needs, answer their question, but that doesn't mean that you need to put all of the bells and whistles from the get-go because that will likely intimidate that end user and like i said earlier the the best dashboards are those that are used you can put all of the bells and whistles you want on dashboard if it's not being used then was it really valuable right does it did did it really add value to the entity um so just a word of caution right don't don't throw all of the bells and whistles but also don't be afraid to then go back and scale it back recognize the mistake and then reel it back in and do them a more simple dashboard, and then as users get accustomed to it, then maybe you can explore another iteration, expanding um, the capabilities of the dashboard. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you know, I've seen some dashboards that are it's like, wow, this is an amazing piece of art. I could frame this and put it on my wall, but I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> you know, it's just too complex, too much. Yeah, and sometimes the goal is to have a pretty dashboard or like a. Uh, an infographic type dashboard, and that's okay. Uh, sometimes the purpose of the dashboard is to monitor or to inform the user. So just knowing that, knowing what what the purpose, right? What's the question for your for your visualization is important. It always it goes back to that. It's, it's okay to do a pretty dashboard that has everything, as long as it's serving the needs of the users. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, Carla, I think our time is up, but I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, I think we did a decent job of talking about a visual subject here. And uh, again, thanks again. And I appreciate you uh, coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, Paul. And I know um, you said you would put some of the links out. So um, check, check them out. Um, have have a, a good go at searching around and um, digging into additional data visualizations. And uh, if, if I can throw a little plug, uh, find me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with other um, data visualization people um, in ABA or not in ABA that may be listening to the podcast. So find me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out, agacgfm.org. And uh, some great AGA events coming up here soon. So if you're available, check out that RPA workshop. PDT is coming up. Virtual. It's all virtual. should be a fun adventure. I'll be there. So uh, hopefully I can see you guys virtually. But uh, until next time. This is Paul Marshall signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA. Thank you.